You know, the reason they, they like reading my stuff is that I've always got real-life examples to prove what I'm saying. There's a lot of good people that listen to this podcast. You know, other than God and my family, deer hunting would be next in line on my list of priorities. From the bottom of our hearts, it's it's just fantastic and awesome to uh, to have the support that you guys are getting. People ask me about expandable broadheads and love swings. <laughs> <laughs> Chasing Giants with Don Higgins and Terry Peer. Brought to you by Osseo Camo, nature's most lethal camouflage. Follow along as Don and Terry discuss the techniques, strategies, and dedication needed to harvest one of God's most amazing creations, world-class whitetails. Well, welcome everyone to the Chasing Giants podcast brought to you by Osseo Gear. Don Higgins, I'm Terry Peer. We're with you on December 10th. And Don, you just rolled in from Mississippi, Mississippi. Yeah, I'm telling you, I just walked in the door probably no more than 15 minutes ago. Um, You actually actually texted me when you were pulling in your driveway and said, get ready, we're recording. Uh, We're going to do this tonight. So uh, we got a ton of great feedback last week that people really like posting are uploading the podcast earlier on Sunday, so it gives them more time to listen. So we're going to continue that, but we got to get you to bed. You've been on the road. Yeah, I spent two nights in a motel. Last two nights, I didn't sleep worth a darn either night. So uh, I guarantee you, I'll sleep good tonight in my own bed. Well, we'll probably get your blood pressure up a couple times on this episode because <laughs> we got some we got some good stuff to talk about about some uh, some comments on social media, but it's not it, it's just it's more funny and comical than anything. But it has to do with deer habitat and some things that you saw in Mississippi. We got a great segment that we're going to talk about, and I don't think anybody's really talked about this in the hunting industry that i know of and that is your buck inventory now that second shotgun season is over in illinois it's almost more important than your spring and early summer inventory uh later in the year and we're going to talk through that a little bit and then you got some really pointed questions picked out this week that we're going to share towards the end of the podcast this is going to be a good one (laughs) well I've had a lot of good questions to choose from, so uh, uh, folks keep sending them in. Uh, it's really great when you know I got 40, 50 questions to pick four or five from each week, and uh, you're right. We got some good ones. Well, we're going to start talking about this uh, this trip to Mississippi. You went down there, it, and, and I haven't even talked to you since you went down there. Is this the same big track that you started working on last year, or is this a different project? Mm-hmm. Well, I actually visited two different properties in Mississippi. The The one that we started earlier this spring, I went back for a follow-up there and then uh, looked at a new property today uh, with a young man and his dad. And uh, man, I'll tell you what, I did an, a property earlier this week too here in Illinois. So I did three properties this week. And, and I'm telling you what, these people are, that I meet are just fantastic. Just some awesome people. It's such a blessing to meet these folks. And, uh, the, the first one I did in Illinois this week was a former client, um, from about five years ago, I'd been on, was on his farm and he bought, uh, some additional acreage right next to it and added to it. And so he had me come back because, um, he's only killed two bucks in, in the five years since I was there, but he said they were both in stands that I picked out that he would have never picked those stands out, both mature bucks. Um, he doesn't. He's a businessman that doesn't have a lot of time to hunt. And uh, when he does, he, he wants to be seeing deer. And he, he was real pleased with his results. Both those bucks were over 150 inches of mature. And then uh, went to the follow-up at the first Mississippi property. And, uh, you know, I wish I could use some of these people's names, but uh, I, I don't have permission, so I'm not going to. But uh, just another just awesome um person becoming really good friends with this guy and uh you know we talked for two days i got there you know one afternoon evening and we had supper and and visited and even when i got back to my motel i had him so fired up and they wasn't about deer hunting he was sharing business advice with me and uh now i got two friends that are business experts terry you're one of them and now you got some competition from this guy (laughs) 
I'm uh, sure but, he's uh, smarter than me. <laughs> well, I don't know about that, but uh, he, he had some really savvy business advice and just um, just appreciated him and his friendship. And then today I met this uh, young guy, probably in his early 20s, I would guess, and his father, just, just fantastic first-class people. And uh, they took me and bought my lunch when we was done. And um, I, I just uh, am so blessed to, to get to do what I do and meeting these people. I mean, I love walking the properties and all that, but, the, but the people I meet, I just can't say enough about them. Yep. Well, let's talk a little bit about this. I'm going to share my screen because a lot of people <laughs> watching on YouTube, this, this post kind of got a lot of action in, on social media with some comments and just explain real quick, this picture that, uh, I'll click on it and make a little bit bigger. Can you see that? Yep. So, explain so that, that picture, what you guys explain what you guys are standing in and in, in this post that you made, and I'll kind of flip through the pictures for everybody. Well, what we're standing in is a plant called kudzu. Um, kudzu was introduced in the South. I don't know how many years ago, probably a hundred years ago. Um, but it's a vine, and it just it just takes over everything. You can see where it's just it covered up these trees, and it kills them. Even back and, in here on the back, on the, on the back yeah. side of the field, it's grown up in those trees, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And, uh, you know, it, it'll, it'll cover whole buildings, barns. Um, if you ever drove through the South, I'm sure everyone in the South knows exactly what I'm talking about, but for some of the listeners in other parts of the country, that maybe haven't been in the South. This vine is an exotic invasive exotic means it's not native. It's, it wasn't from this country. Um, I think it was from Asia, actually China, maybe. Um, Go figure. But, yeah, no <laughs> kidding. I bet I bet Joe Biden brought that crap here. He probably but, traded. Uh, he probably traded yeah. something for it. <laughs> yeah, I guarantee you. If you get on Hunter's laptop, and there's probably a, a kudzu uh, file in there where them guys are taking payments under the table from the Chinese government. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> anyway. Uh, you know we're going to get kicked off of YouTube for that, but <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, so th this stuff is, it it'll just take over. Well, this, this picture here, there's about 25 or so acres of it on this property and uh, we needed to get rid of it. it it's, it's just a, a ocean of it and that stuff, you know, it, it's up about waist high if you walk through it, but it just vines on everything. So um, the landowner had a crew come in and, uh, you know, they sprayed it with herbicide. And this next picture is how it looks now, um, you know, that they've totally killed it. So we've, we've got this 25 acres where the kudzu was. It, it's really too rolling and too rough to, to take tractor over it. It doesn't look like in this picture, but I'm telling you, there's some great big old gullies and ravines throughout that, that that kudzu is kind of grown, vined over it. And it would be dangerous to take a tractor in there and try to plant anything. Um, so what we're going to do is get a crew in there and we're going to plant uh, loblolly pine trees in there. And uh, I kind of explained it in that social media post. And I, I didn't realize there were so many kudzu experts on the Internet. Did you, Terry? Did you? I mean, no, can't can't say that I did. Well, I bet there's at least 20 just on my post that, that are just absolute experts on kudzu and you know i got blasted for killing kudzu because it's high in protein and the deer love it well it is high in protein and the deer do love it but you know what happens when this when the stuff takes over and and swallows up the trees and everything else um you know the, the crazy thing about it is here i am killing an exotic invasive invasive means that it's out of con it you know it'll take over at the detriment of the native vegetation so you know I i'm here promoting the killing of an exotic invasive no different than bush honeysuckle or something like that that's an exotic invasive and i just get totally blasted for it and then if i say anything about planting an exotic that's not invasive like miscanthus i get blasted for that too <laughs> it's almost funny really and uh, you just can't win on social media for all the experts on everything out there 
you know, it doesn't matter what the topic is. There's an expert on it. I'm pretty confident <laughs> that we could talk about wiping our rear end and we'd have people commenting on we, we, we wiped the wrong direction. So, uh, <laughs> I think, I think we're just going to keep doing what we're doing. And, uh, but well, I think, I think this, the moral of the story here though, is the, the whole premise of, of what you were trying to do at the, with this field, I think is, is a little bit outside the scope of what I guess, think of with a land consultant for deer hunting. Cause this has really nothing to do with deer hunting. It's more preserving the future and, and possible revenue for next generations for a lumber. You're not putting mm-hmm. this thing in your, the purpose of this lollipop pine or what species was it? Lob lolly. Lob lolly. What did I say? Lollipop. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you got, you got a new one. <laughs> but Somebody will correct me. Don't worry. But oh uh, yeah, the the purpose there's, there's of 10, it is 000, there's ten thousand experts on loblolly pine on the internet. They're just waiting to post. <laughs> well, I bet there's not many on uh, lollipop pine. So the the purpose of this plan though was to to create timber value later on down the road, right? Yeah, exactly. And uh, I want to back up just a second. Um, you know, kudzu is high in protein, and the deer do like it, but you know, my reply to the people that want to say that is deer like water too, but you don't see too many of them out in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. <laughs> you know, there's, there's got to be a limit. And, you know, when this property is like 1,600 acres, so 25 acres out of 1,600 is, is really small. So, you know, we got people bashing me because I want to plant these pines for timber. Well, there is a lot of diverse cover on this farm, but the pines that were all on that farm were mature and they are being harvested. Actually, most of them have already been harvested, but they're in the process of being harvested right now. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with harvesting timber. I mean, if you don't, it's just going to go to waste. It's a crop, no different than corn. When it gets mature, harvest it and start over. And that's what we're doing here. The pines that are on the farm right now that are mature are being harvested and we're going into some of these areas and we're going to reestablish some pines for, you know, future markets. And just because we're big into deer, that doesn't mean the next generation that comes along is going to be big into deer. You know, on my own farm, um, you know, I've signed some, some acreage up for CRP and I've planted trees and stuff for the deer everywhere. But I've let my kids know and, and my son-in-law and that, you know, when I'm done with this farm, I don't care what the next generation does, but I don't want them to feel like they have to leave these trees because grandpa planted these trees. If they want to clear it all and, and you know, turn it into cow pasture or farm fields or whatever, I, I want them to do it and not feel a bit bad about it. Um, you know, I've just got some new acreage that I'm going to enroll in CRP and I would really like to put it in a CRP tree program and plant it in trees, but to do so ties the hands of the next generation, my grandkids, if I put it in CRP and put it in native grasses, well, that native grass is real easy. They can go in and, you know, burn that field off. And then when it greens up, they can spray it and start farming it immediately, a whole lot easier than they can with trees. So even though I'm managing for deer, I'm also thinking of the next generation. And when I go on these consulting jobs, you know, I'm really, you know, taking a close look at the situation with the client and looking way beyond the deer immediately because we can turn a property into a big buck factory, but at the same time, we can do it while thinking ahead to the next generation. Another example is, is I know too many, I've even seen it. I've seen too many situations where guys will go in with their chainsaws and they'll just wreck a woods to create deer cover. And they're they're hinge cutting nice oak trees, white oak trees and, and ruining them, destroying them where they could have done a TSI or timber stand improvement cut left those nice pines, maybe, or, white oaks rather maybe thin the stand and left the nicer ones and, and they could have improved it for the deer hunting as well as improved it for the next generation 
And I think sometimes as deer hunters and land managers, we get way too narrow-minded and and we we focus our view just a real narrow view right in front of us and we don't realize that hey there's a generation coming up behind us we're just stewards of this property for a short period of time and we can take care of the generation behind us while still using the property for what we want to use it for yeah and i think it's no different than than uh buying other investments you know planting those trees on your property could be potential revenue for your grandkids one day, their kids maybe. It's no different than collecting firearms that are going to be passed on, or it's no different than buying stock or real estate or or having other investments. It's basically planning, like you said, a crop that has a potential value on down the stream. So, and if mm-hmm. anybody's interested, uh, I'll, I'll I'll gladly teach you about the lollipop pine on <laughs> on another episode. So, let's take a quick break and listen to our friends uh, from Osseo. Congrats to Joe Miles whacking another buck down in Mexico or South Texas. I'm not sure which side of the river he was on, but I think it was Mexico. He's a flat out killer. Osseo Gear introduces a premium line of bow hunting gear that is unmatched pairing nature's finest camouflage with the best technological innovations. Osseo Gear brings whitetail bow hunters the gear they need to be the best at their craft. The unique camouflage mimics the intricate feather pattern of North America's greatest predatorial creatures. Designed for invisibility, built for comfort, and engineered for function. Visit OsseoGear.com. That's A-S-I-O Gear.com to start shopping. Osseo Gear. Prepare to be invisible. All right, Don. um, I'm really excited about this dialogue. I was thinking about it earlier this week and pitched the idea to you. Um, Don't think anybody's ever really talked about this a whole lot, but I'm going to tee this conversation up and then let you run with it. There's been a lot of circumstances where you've talked about you get really excited when you see a good three-year-old make it through second shotgun season in Illinois because, you know, the the odds, if he's figured it out, the odds that he can potentially make it to five, six, seven is drastically increased. Um, obviously, you know, he can be hit, he can be shot, but uh, getting getting that deer through second shotgun season as a three-year-old we just passed that milestone in illinois here over the last couple weeks and we talked about it and i want to know is is the inventory that you're getting right now of what bucks made it through second shotgun season almost as important or even more important than the inventory that you're doing uh in velvet season well, it's every bit as important. So right now, we've got one more day. Tomorrow is the last day of our muzzleloader season. And, you know, after that, you know, it's basically, for, for bucks anyway, it's pretty much, you know, all bow hunting. And there, there's just not a whole lot of, of mature bucks killed after this point in the season. So, you know, I... I this is the time of the year when I start getting excited for next year because now I know what's alive. Uh, some of the bucks that, that I've been watching that I'm still getting pictures of, I know if they make it through tomorrow, the odds are very, very good that they're going to be alive next season. And so from, from here on out, basically until they shed their antlers, um, you know, late winter, I'm, I'm going to really be, um, excited when i see certain bucks show up on camera because i know he's gonna he's probably gonna be there next summer and and what this inventory at this time of the year does is it tells me where i need to focus my efforts next summer so a lot of the bucks you know i know where they they summer and uh if i know that the buck's still alive i i can uh, have cameras there next summer which i probably would anyway but if there's a, a really good one and i've got potential for two or three really good ones that i can put out even more cameras next summer i'll spend time in the, on the summer evenings glass in those areas and uh, hopefully getting some video footage but it really starts right now um you know they say champions are made in the off season well the 
the off season for me doesn't start when the season closes in mid January. The off season for me really starts now when that gun season is over, where the odds are really good that a buck that's alive right now is still going to be alive next year. And this is when I start putting pieces of the puzzle together, because to be honest, uh, there's a lot of deer hunters that are not even going to be in the woods again. Um, you know, they, they hunt the rut primarily. Uh, if they do go out late season, it's once or twice and it's, you know, half-heartedly, um, maybe we get a snow and they want to go out and sit in the snow for an afternoon or something, but it's not really a serious chase for mature deer. Uh, so yeah, I, I just, uh, I'm fired up cause I got some bucks that if they, and, and they're alive right now, I know they are. Um, there's three that I know for sure are alive. And there's another one that I cannot find any evidence that he's been killed. Now I, I know he survived the first gun season. I got pictures of him after that first gun season that just a day or two later, but I have not got his picture since. And, uh, I talked to, a, you know, a local guy today who knows about the buck sent me pictures of the buck and he doesn't, you know, he's had his, uh, ears open too, hoping to, if somebody did shoot that he hears about it and neither one of us have heard a word about that deer getting shot. So there, there's some potential giants for next year. I'm pretty fired up. And Well, let's, let's pick it apart or unwrap that just a little bit more. So when you get a picture of a buck this time of year, from a patterning standpoint, it's not necessarily any data that means a lot to you, right? It's just, it's confirmation that he's still alive then what you're doing is going back to your archive and saying, well, in he summers here and this is where he's at uh, when they disperse from the bachelor groups. And then this is when he made his, um, you know, he appeared this time, the end of October. So, you know, this, this game plan basically just confirms he's alive. It doesn't necessarily, you know, give you intel about a hunting next year. That intel's from the rest of the data that you've already been putting together. Right. Yep. Um, but you know, th some of this can carry over because if he's alive next year and I don't get him killed early or in the rut, I know where he's going to be late season next year. All right. So now that might, uh, you get a picture of one of those bucks, then that's gonna not, uh, you might be putting different tree stands in asking for permission on neighbor's properties, trying to put the rest of the pieces together to try to figure that out. But I just think it's an interesting topic that people probably don't put as much effort into trail cameras right now as they do in July and August. You know, everybody's mm -hmm. racing to the woods trying to figure out what bucks they're there. But I, I got to believe that this really sets the tone for where you put your effort, energy and money uh, next summer. Yeah, no doubt about it. Uh, you know, we talked a couple of weeks back about the, uh, the list of bucks I had from last year, you know, what was there? 17 bucks that I was looking for this summer and a good percentage of them, uh, did not make it. Uh, which leads the, to the question, what happened to them? And I don't, I don't have the answer for that because, uh, I, and I've heard from a lot of different people, um, submit questions that, you know, I, I see these bucks and I pass these bucks certain, age class and the next year they're never there they're never what happened and i don't know but at least if you've got an inventory of of the bucks that were alive at the end of season at least you've got a list of you know to try to track down the following summer right all right well that's great dialogue we're going to move on to the listener submitted questions but before we do you have your first kind of public appearance, I believe, coming up this next week. And we're not going to yep. go through this whole list again tonight, but I want you to tee up a little bit the, the event on December 16th. And I'll go ahead and tell everybody that we have this schedule along with any trade shows that we may be at or also our dealers at Real World on the Real World website. So if you go to the Real World website and click the link trade show and seminars, that's going to have all of our schedules from every appearance that we're going to do with live Chasing Giants podcasts, Don doing charity seminars, uh, my speaking engagements, but also 
our dealer network that's going to be out doing trade shows where you can save shipping by picking up product in person. So, Don, talk a little bit about this December 16th event. Yeah, um, one thing I need to throw out there, Terry, for those folks that are seeing this schedule on their screen, uh, there's one event that's left off of there. Um, February 15th, um, I'm going to be in Winona, Minnesota, um, for one. It, it was listed. I made a post on my social media this week and that one is listed there on my social media but for somehow when when i sent this list to terry i i don't know how it got omitted but this coming friday evening december 16th i'm going to be in vestaberg michigan uh it's going to be a benefit supper for an amish school and uh, then a seminar i'm going to take uh, a lot of spend a lot of time uh, answering questions so if you're going to be there um, come up with some good questions. If you've got any questions about, uh, you know, where this event's at and everything, the, the address, the number you need to call is 517-726-0518. Uh, I, I know the supper is by uh, donation only, so um, there's no set charge. Uh, you're just leaving a donation for that Amish school. And uh, I can assure you the food will be fantastic. And uh, the entertainment might be shaky, but the, the food is going to be fantastic. Yeah, they always, uh, every place we go, they always take care of the food. That's, that's for sure. I bet there's a cherry pie there is what I'm betting. There you go. All right. Well, hey, I want to I touch base. Last week we talked a little bit about... Um, our uh, partnership with Quiet Cat and both of us got new bikes and our phones have blown up of people wanting to know if they can buy our old bikes. Well, I, I found a new home for mine. Um, so yeah, it had been taken care of some time back. So mine is gone. You know, <laughs> don't have to bother asking about it, folks. Uh, I did get my new one assembled this week, Terry. And um, there's some things I really like about it that the back rack has been, uh, it's a totally different design than what my old one was. And the other thing is, is that bar, um, you know, across the front between like where your seats at and the, the front axle, um, it's a lot lower, you know, in the old days you had the boys bikes and the girls bikes. And I never did figure out why the boys bike had the, the bar up high, <laughs> Uh, you would think the boys would, would need a little more room up there, <laughs> but that's not the way it works. Well, th this is kind of the new uh, quiet cats are kind of a hybrid. The, the bar is not up as high as like it would be on a 10 speed bicycle, but it's not way down low like a girl's bike either. It's somewhere in the middle, but for an old guy like me, whose joints are getting stiff, it's a whole lot easier to throw your leg over it now than it was with the old ones. So um, that's a couple things I noticed. Well, the, uh, the thing that, that, that we're changing with our relationship with quiet cat this year is these are actually demo bikes that we have. So in the past we we've gotten bikes and there, there were ours, but these are demo bikes. So the, the goal here is for us to, um, to ride these bikes. And then whether it's a consultant client or a masterclass client, we can, uh, help save shipping and give it as a demo discount. So. I'm not going to sell the bike that I have right now. I'm going to keep it and have two. That way, if a buddy needs one or uh, or I need to take two on a consultant client's trip where he can ride one of mine and I can ride one, whatever, I'm keeping mine. I'm not getting rid of it. And uh, so I appreciate all the messages that everybody's sent us. Our old bikes are not available. So mm -hmm. wanted to wanted to let everybody know to save time and Let's uh, let's go ahead. This first question, we're going to start with this one because this is probably uh, going to take some dialogue for you. It's a long question, but I think it's a great conversation. I'm interested to hear what you say. Alrighty. So this one comes from Jeremy K from Lincoln, Michigan. He says, "Hi Don, I love you and Terry, and look forward to hearing you guys every single week on the podcast. I have a question for the podcast that I would like to hear you and Terry's opinion on." and start this question in every sportsman's mind because I think we are walking towards dangerous territory and don't even see it in our sport. My question for you guys is, where is the line going to be drawn between fair chase and technology and hunting? 
I'm afraid what our sport may look like in 10 years after seeing the advancements and legalities change over the last 10 years. From excellent apps like Onyx to cell cams spitting up to the minute picks in our pockets to the dreaded arrow guns, crossbows, just to name a, a few of them. What do you and Terry think about all this technology when you really stop and think about hunting in the next 10 years? I joke and say, what's next? Cameras that fire bolts from my pocket at work or apps that GPS track deer movement? People may laugh now, but 10 years ago, they would have laughed if you told them bucks would be delivered in real time to our pockets. Most of us managers already know the regulators don't ever have the natural resources best interest in mind, and it's all about special interest groups and keeping their thumb on the deer herd using whatever bogus research they need to use to sell it to the sportsmen. You guys have nailed it before in saying that they just want deer dead and they have changed laws already to achieve this. With that said, I think the sportsmen need to start asking ourselves what we want hunting to look like in the next 10 years because I don't trust anyone else making these decisions anymore from a desk with a suit and tie on. Thanks for considering this question from Jeremy, a sorry Michigan deer manager living in a slaughter state. <laughs> well, Jeremy, that is a great question and you opened up a can of worms and gave me an opportunity to jump on my soapbox. And I bet you my answer is gonna surprise a few people. Um, I hold out absolutely zero hope that we're going to turn this sport around. You can just get on social media right now, and if you take an ethical stand on anything whatsoever, you're going to get blasted for it. It happens to me all the time. Um, and I, I have said it before, and I'll say it again. I do not think that I am the ethical god that should you know, set the ethical standards for every bow hunter. I don't. I, I do wish that uh, more people would think like you do, Jeremy, and, and consider this because I have seen this sport absolutely totally change. What, what it is today is absolutely nothing at all like it was when I started. And yeah, I, I'm an old fart that likes the good old days, no doubt about it. And at the same time, I like my cameras. Um, so, you know, where each of us draws the line is, is a personal choice. Um, you, in the whole industry, um, I'll, I'll blast the ATA association, you know, the ATA shows coming up here. All them people give a crap about is making money from, from bow hunters. They don't give a darn about the sport. They don't give a darn about the big game, uh, herds. Uh, of big game animals that, are, that we're trying to manage. They give a crap about making money. That's exactly how the crossbow got into archery season. And again, I, I'm not totally innocent as an outdoor rider, as someone in the hunting industry, as someone who uses trail cameras and some of the other things, I'm as guilty as anyone. But I do think that I have the best interest of the deer herd the best interest of the sport of bow hunting. This isn't even a sport of bow hunting anymore. I mean, we are so far gone from, from what it was, um, you know, even 30 years ago, if, if you would have remembered, if you, I, I wish everybody listening to this could have seen it like in the 1970s and early eighties where, you know, there was actually guys with recurve bows and long bows in the woods. Um, the, the compound guys, it was before even releases, before you had releases for your compounds. It's just been one thing after another, and technology is not going to slow down. Um, most of the people carrying a, an archery tag are not bow hunters. They're just deer killers taking advantage of the archery season. And, I mean, I don't even know where to stop. <laughs> I, I could go on forever. It, it just... It, I give up. It's like society in general, you know, or this country, the politics of this country. We got people thinking, oh, next election, we're going to turn it around. You know, folks, it's over. We have lived in the best days of this country and it's downhill from here. We're not turning it around. And bow hunting's the same way. I'm glad I lived through the glory days. Um, 
before technology just really took over, we're not turning around. It's not getting any better. The only organizations that we got that even give a crap uh, about the big game herds and the sport are Pope and Young Club and Boone and Crockett. The rest of them organizations, they're nothing but money grabbers using the sport to make money. Half of them are doing it under the guise of nonprofit. Nonprofit, my butt. Most of them are, are trying to make as much profit as they possibly can. And, and which ones of them, who's got the guts? Which one, which organization has the guts to stand up to a state DNR and take an opposing view on any issue whatsoever? They're just—they're a bunch of politicians themselves. They won't rock the boat at all. They don't want to rock that money boat. Crap! It'll take money out of their pocket. It's absolutely disgusting. Some of the groups out there, and I don't even need to name names because you can just pretty much about go down the list. Hope and Young Club is fantastic. The Boone and Crockett Club is fantastic. You get past that, and there ain't a whole lot left that really cares. Terry's sitting there with a big smile on his face. <laughs> we just, um, I'm, I'm going to turn this a different direction. We just, it, it, it's a worldly problem. It's, it's a cultural problem in this country. It's not, it goes far deeper than deer hunting. We just had the president of our country trade a criminal for a druggy basketball player that denounced our country while leaving a veteran and a big part of this country thinks it's okay. They actually think that that was the right thing to do. There's people in this country that thought that that was acceptable. Now, not the people that probably listen to this podcast or that we're associated with, you know, in our circles, everybody that I talked to at work, they were outraged by it when the news broke. The problem is this world is getting really bad. Um, I don't want to be Debbie, you know, Debbie Downer on this thing, but I think in my children's lifetime, we will be at war on this, on our soil. Um, part of me hopes that I'm in heaven and I don't have to see it. The other part of me hopes that it happens really quick so that I can take it and leave my kids behind so they can try to enjoy whatever the aftermath of it is. But at this point in time, I'm, I'm perfectly fine going to meet Jesus and um, I think this world's going downhill in the toilet faster and faster. And the events of this last week just prove it. The, 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 the idiots that think that what happened this week is even halfway acceptable, um, it, it's too far gone. And, and when you start trying to bring ethics and morals into sports where people have to make their own decisions and there's these whack jobs out there that's on this far left of it, we don't have a lot of hope. We don't have any hope. I seen, I'm going to drive home from Mississippi this afternoon. I seen a big old billboard, and uh, I forget who came up with this saying. I think it was uh, maybe Abraham Lincoln, but anyway, one of them old guys. And he said, it said, all that's required for evil to prevail is for good men to do nothing. And we got a bunch of good men, probably a bunch listening to this podcast, that won't stand up for anything they don't have the guts to stand up for anything that's right this world is doomed um you know i i seen a uh, or listened to a uh, sermon uh sometime back i don't even remember who the guy was it was on the on the radio and this guy was talking about technology and uh how in, in the end of time things just speed up and they happen a whole lot faster and a whole lot faster and in this sermon, this guy said that there has been more techno technological advances since 1973 than there were from 1973 back to the beginning of time. Now think about that. The thousands of years before 1973, there's been more advances since 1973. And you think about it, just since I got out of high school, you, you know, something like a cell phone, this... When I graduated from high school, this thing, if I would have told somebody what we was going to be doing a few decades later with these things, I mean, this thing is our clock, it's our calendar, it's our camera, 
It's everything. Who would have ever dreamed you could have a little box like this in your pocket and you could call some dude in China and be talking to him and he's hearing you the second you're speaking. It's unbelievable. And the, getting back to the sport of bow hunting, I mean, come on. This, this crap that we're doing today in the woods, I mean, you got to be kidding me. We're sitting there in an elevated blind, heated with a propane heater. We got a pile of freaking corn out in front of it. We got a trail camera there that's sending a picture to our little magic box. And then we're going to shoot that deer with a crossbow with an expandable broadhead that's freaking unethical. You I told you you would get your blood pressure up before yeah, the end of the and, podcast today. And, and this is bow hunting. This is the farthest thing from bow hunting. It is pure garbage is what it is. And I'm telling you, it's never changing. Um, Jeremy, you know, made the suggestion that the, the state game agencies aren't going to change it. So we need to look at ourselves. Look at ourselves. Half the people in the woods don't even belong there. They're not bow hunters. They're, they're deer killers. There's a big difference between a hunter. A hunter is a conservationist. He cares about the resource. And half the people out there don't give a crap about anything except killing something. That's all that matters to them. Let's go out and kill a deer the easiest way we can. If we can do it in the first five minutes that we're in the tree and go back home and be done for the season, yippee for us. Now, we, we're, deer, we're deer hunters. Yeah, crap. We... <laughs> Told you I'd get you fired up today. We let well, off. Um, I haven't been fired up for a while, but this this really and then go back to that that stinking homo basketball player. <laughs> uh, here, here's something I bet a lot of people don't realize that this this person w was in prison in Russia for a crime, and she's been in there what less than a year. It's like two hundred some days or some garbage. Um, and, and you know, I, I don't think that it was right for her to be locked up for what she did. I mean, well, what she did is a hundred percent legal in this country. And I don't, she should have known better, but anyway, at, at the same time, there is a white man over there in the same prison or not the same prison, but for the same crime, he's been there four years, four years. This unknown white man has been over there in prison for the same crime that this homo black basketball player was over there for and nobody even knows the guy's name they don't even know he's in prison but you know what he's white he's a man and he has sex the normal way so nobody cares about that guy <laughs> but the freak yeah the freak and here's the other thing that the person that we traded for this freak is not just a criminal the guy is a brutal terrorist He's the merchant of death. This guy was selling arms to people that want to kill Americans. He sold them arms so they can kill Americans. And this idiot that we got in the White House is trading th this absolute evil terrorist for a homo freak basketball player. And we just got banned. We just got banned from YouTube, Terry. I yeah, hope you don't post say, this. Um, <laughs> yeah, those those uh, filters are going to be uh, having us on probation after this one. But I'm not editing in any of it out. All right, let's okay. go on to the next question. Hey, we're going to talk about deer hunting now, people. Yeah. <laughs> Kelly Hostetler from Millersburg, Ohio, says, "Hey, Don and Terry, thanks for the great podcast. My question is, how soon can you tell if a buck is a potential giant?" I recently saw a year and a half old buck whose right side was bladed with four points and his left also had four points with more junk coming off of his base. Is this a future giant or is it too early to tell? Well, Kelly, there is an excellent, excellent chance that's a future giant. And, uh, you know, I had this discussion today uh, down in Mississippi with the young man and his dad. Um, typically, the best Yearling bucks are going to be the best two-year-old bucks and are going to be the best three-year-old bucks and are going to be the best four-year-old bucks and on down the line. Uh, I learned that years ago with the captive deer. Whatever buck in the pen was the best year-and-a-half-old year buck, he was going to be the best two-and-a-half-year-old buck the vast majority of the time. Very, very seldom did a buck start out as average or below average and end up being the best. Um, but your question was 
specifically wanted to know how soon you could tell. Occasionally you can tell a year and a half that's gonna be great, but that's fairly rare, I believe. Uh, the buck you described, um, definitely I think he's got the potential to be an absolute giant. Mel, you know, the, if you ever watch the video of the Mel hunt, that buck was special as a year and a half old. He was just a clean 10 point rack. Um, but when, when you start seeing eight pointers that have little nubbins where extra points are going to be, and uh, or he's got a 10 point rack already as a yearling, those bucks are going to be special. But usually you're probably looking at at least a two year old before you're going to know for sure. So then as that deer gets older, your strategy on your farms that you're managing is to try to keep that deer alive and eliminate the weaker bucks in that buck same age class. So hopefully he doesn't go anywhere else or get pushed off and then try to fight the temptation that when he's the biggest buck on the farm at a three-year-old, even bigger than your other ones, if he's truly special, that's the pivotal piece to this is many times these special bucks that we see at, at one and a half, two and a half, maybe are also the three-year-olds that are 150, 160, and they end up getting popped because it's somebody's biggest buck. But if you're truly managing for giants, that's the one that could potentially grow up to be Shaquille O'Neal. That's a fantastic point, Terry. And a lot of times these really, really good bucks, when they start expressing it at a young age, a year and a half, two and a half, three and a half, a lot of guys want to, um, misjudge their age. I know when uh, Mel was three and a half and, and he had the 216 rack, everybody thought he I was nuts. There's no way a three-year-old grows 216. Well, I'm telling you, they do. And uh, he did it. And, and people will shoot him thinking that they're older than they really are. So as you keep an eye on that buck, Kelly, as he grows up, um, you know, don't don't shoot him too soon if you want to shoot a true giant they don't come along very often you got a chance right there at a buck that could end up well over 200 inches but if you shoot him as a three-year-old and he's 180 well guess what he's never hitting 200 that's a rare animal all right buyafarm.com is your source for farm recreational properties rural homes and more now here is don higgins with this week's featured property Welcome to the Biofarm segment. We're going to be talking with Wayne Keller tonight about an online auction that's coming up this week. So if you're looking for a property, we got auctions closing this week that Wayne wants to talk about. Wayne, we're going to talk actually about two, but we're going to talk about the first one that's on the front page of the Biofarm website in Jackson County, uh, Illinois. Yes, uh, we've got a 56-acre tract in Jackson County. It is uh, about half wooded and half tillable, so you've got some good income there to help pay for your deer hunting habit. Uh, it's a good hunting property. The owner has hunted this one for years himself. Uh, he's not the kind of guy he doesn't bother with uh, trail cam pictures. He doesn't uh, mount his deer. He doesn't uh, take a lot of pictures of them, but he's had some awful good scoring deer over the years, and uh, he's kind of quit hunting himself. Uh, so there's very little hunting down done on the property. And uh, this property lays about six miles out of Murfreesboro where the hills break off into the Mississippi River bottoms. Mm -hmm. And so it's got a nice natural funnel through it. It's got a creek line that the deer follow down into the bottoms. And uh, like I said, he's got a good hunting history on it. And the cropland on this has got a PI of 126. That's comparable to central Illinois. So uh, it's got some darn good income off of it. Gotcha. So, yeah, a little bit of blend where you could uh, either put food plots in or you could, um, you know, lease it or even farm it yourself for tillable income. And then mm -hmm. obvi obviously it has some timber on it. So 56 acres. Now, now this is important for people to understand because this is on an online auction, but it closes December 15th. Is that correct? That's correct. December the 15th at 8 p.m. Actually, we've got four of them that close that night on the 15th. And another one that might have some hunting value is over in uh, Cumberland County, Illinois, is 180 acres. 
wooded and tillable. You might want to check that one out as well. And uh, then we have another one in Clay County that's 45 acres wooded and tillable. Okay. And anyway, if you want to check all of those out, any of those three, probably pretty good hunting on them. I definitely know the one in Jackson County is a good hunting property. Sure. And the thing, the thing that's interesting about this is these auctions that are coming up here in the next week, there's different sizes, shapes, and, um, and profiles for each property. So no matter what you're looking at, if you're in, if you're looking for rural or recreational properties, there's probably something that kind of meets or aligns with, with what you might be looking for. So go on to buyfarm.com, whether it's this property in Jackson County, which is right on the homepage, or you can search around. There's several auctions that are going to be going on this week. Uh, We want you to push you to there and uh, go check them out. All righty. Yeah, we'd be glad to. If you got any questions on these auctions, we'd be glad to answer any questions. Just give us a call. Well, Wayne, before we sign off, why don't you leave us with your contact info, and thanks again for the support of the podcast. Uh, my phone number is 618-407-1679 or, my, uh, or 800-357-4020 or wkeller at buyfarm.com. All right. Thanks, Wayne. We appreciate it. Hey, have a good one. Bye-bye. Take care. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Good job, sir. Uh, Jim Benito from Haverhill, Massachusetts says supplemental feeding. My question is, what are your thoughts on supplemental feeding after the season? I have heard that if you start feeding deer after the season using a food that is new to the deer, when most other food is gone, their bodies won't have time to produce the bacteria needed to digest the food, and they can actually starve to death with essentially a full stomach. Is this true or something the DNR tells people to discourage people from supplemental feeding? Thank you for all that you and Terry do. God bless. Well, Jim, I can see you trust the government about as far as I do. Um, uh, no, this is, there is some truth to that. And basically, uh, um, it, it happens in, in the north some when, you know, the deer get, uh, it's a real hard winter and the deer are yarded up and they try to bring these deer food and they do it too late and, and they're totally switching the deer's diet. So this deer has been on a starvation diet, basically eating sticks and, and, and snow and they come in and they, they try to bring a quality food. Well, that deer's, the bacteria in that deer's gut kind of uh, adjust to his diet. So a, a, sh- a shift in the diet needs to happen uh, somewhat slowly over time so that that bacteria can adjust and break it down. So, so there is some truth to that. Now, as far as my stance on supplemental feeding, I cannot do it in Illinois where I live, but I've got a farm in Ohio where I can. And uh, I believe if you can, you should, uh, I know there's a lot of people that disagree with me, but, uh, you know, I just think that you should do everything you can to provide a deer's nutritional needs and maybe they can get it elsewhere. Maybe they can't. There may be just one little micronutrient that's missing in the area and what's provided that you can provide through that feeder. And that could be the limiting factor on, um, you know, the size of the bucks that you're able to grow and providing that supplemental feed gives them that one weakest link nutrient that uh, makes all the difference in the world. You know, and based off of, you know, our conversations with Dr. Bronson Strickland and understanding fetal programming and the importance of a doe's health as she's developing that fetus in the womb, that's that's even more of a of a reasoning behind good nutrition through the late winter. You know, we want her to be as healthy as she can at the time the fetus is conceived, you know, during the rut. And then as she's carrying, there's a reason our doctors tell our, our wives that they needed to be on prenatal vitamins when they were, when they were pregnant. And uh, the, the healthier we can keep that dough, the healthier that fawn is going to be when it, when it is born. And um, you, I think the term Dr. Strickland uses, that's how we can affect the glass ceiling. We can't change the genetics once they're written. But we can, we can raise that glass ceiling a little bit through these, through these activities and, um, yeah, I, I just, whether it's a government conspiracy or not, I don't know, but, um, 
we're not doing we don't do it because we sell the product we do it because if we can provide any advantage to that that deer being as healthy as possible uh we're going to do it so yep all right next question okay this one comes from brody hallman from cleo michigan he says, hi, Don and Terry. I would like to take a second to thank you guys for the information you put out for other hunters. I started hunting four years ago with almost no guidance, just learning on my own as I go. I found your podcast at the beginning of 2022 season and have spent more time improving my skills in the woods with your information than actually hunting this year. And this is, has by far been my most successful year hunting with the least amount of time in a stand. I credit that to your podcast, so thank you and God bless you both. Now to my question. I too am a believer in Christ. However, I personally find more connection with God in a tree stand, enjoying his beautiful creation than in church than in a church pew on Sunday. So in return, there's many Sundays I find myself in a tree stand instead of church. So if the conditions are perfect for your hunt on Sunday morning, are you going to church or are you going to your tree stand? Well, Brody, you, you bring up an interesting topic and, uh, you know, something interesting happened to me about a month ago. It was, uh, early November and on a Sunday morning, I was at church and I had a young man say to me, I'm surprised you're here and not in a tree. And I kind of smiled. I told him, I said, uh, well, I, I've got a lot of people watching me and I need to set a good example. And I can honestly say I have never, since I started going to church, um, I don't know, 15 years ago, whenever it was, I can honestly say I never skipped church to go sit in a deer stand. Um, I, I think that uh, it's pretty clear in the Bible that, uh, you know, we're, we're called to fellowship with, with other believers. I think being around other believers uh, makes it a little bit easier for us to walk the walk throughout the rest of the week. And uh, I think a lot of times when, when deer hunters go to the deer woods and they, and they make statements similar to what was made here, I, I think it's an excuse not to go to church. And we can all make excuses. It doesn't matter if we're deer hunters or what, you know. Uh, we can say, oh, the weather's so beautiful tomorrow i'm not going to church i'm going to go golf instead well you know there's plenty of time during the rest of the week for for those activities um there's even sunday afternoon to do a lot of those things but uh i i don't think that uh sitting out of church to, to go sit in a tree is a good idea i don't promote it in any way whatsoever and i try my best to set a better example than that i think if you put the same kind of effort into church you would never say that you find more connection in the woods people go to church for different reasons i'm a preacher's kid and there's a lot of time in my life that i resented church because it was my father's employer you have to you have to really think about that statement to to get where i'm saying you know no church is perfect and there's church politics and issues and i had a hard time separating going to church for my personal relationship with God versus where my dad was getting crap at his job. And, you know, um, it took me a long time to separate that. But I think if, if you put as much effort into why you go to church as you do, why you set up a property and how you scout and how you run trail cameras, then you're going to get a whole lot more out of church. Um, if you go there and expect expect to just all of a sudden um, church just be something miraculous for you without you putting the effort in and you go through the motions, you're not going to get anything out of it. Well, the last question of the night, let's put it up on the screen. Okay, this one comes from Sam Lowe from Gray, Georgia. He says, Don and Terry, I am a UPS driver and I listen to your podcast every day to pass time and I have learned so much with the podcast. I also subscribe to your Whitetail Master Academy and it has completely changed my mindset about hunting. It is a great guide tool to go by, which leads me to this question. Me and my dad own a 125 acre farm we both live on in central Georgia. 
we both love deer hunting but my dad is a huge dove hunter and sets our 10 acre field into a dove paradise do you consider this intrusion and bad for our property uh, well sam i think you can do other uh, activities on your property a lot of it depends on the time that you do it and where exactly you do it so um, that dove field um, you know if, if it's not located in the middle of your sanctuary it's going to be fine especially if it's off in a corner or something i don't think i think it's going to have minimal impact the other thing is the timing of dove season i know for here in illinois and i think much of the country dove season comes in around september 1st so you know you're looking at a full month before archery season typically you know the serious dove hunters are really only after it for you know the first couple of weeks or so a season um, when the, the shooting is the best so you know by the time archery season rolls around even opening day you know it's been a couple weeks or more since any dove hunting was being done and so you know if the timing is good and it's located in the right part of the property i don't see that being an issue at all i think that um being out in the middle of an open field shooting a shotgun over a dove field is a whole lot less intrusion than you riding four wheelers and running dogs around the property at night and and all kinds of stuff those bucks are you know they, they might they might booger out and get away but you're not tromping through your sanctuary either so but saying that if you're setting up a property and that's one of the things we talk about with our consulting clients you know if somebody wants to camp or somebody wants to have a dove field or somebody wants to do something different we had, we try to take all of that into perspective because everybody has different goals for what they want out of the property. They're the ones paying for it. So, you know, we try to set up the property to where we can minimize that intrusion and that pressure as much as possible. So, um, we don't know the specifics of your property, but I think if done correctly, you could enjoy it for more than just deer hunting. Yep. Well, uh, we want to we want to end with a uh, a really serious prayer request, uh, urgent prayer request that um, is is close to both of us, and um, we don't want to end too somber. But this is a real serious situation that um, we just want to bring up and and ask all of our listeners to to please pray this week for us. Yeah, my pastor, um, Pastor Kenny Bontrager, um, from Sullivan, Illinois has been fighting a, a brain tumor he's twice had surgery to have it removed both times they they thought they got it all uh, that tumor is back um, it spread to both of his brain lobes on both sides of his head um, this week uh, they told him they can no longer perform surgery and uh, basically told him to go home and get his affairs in order um, um, really the only way to put it is they gave him a death sentence um, but we know that uh, our god is capable of healing anything um, and i'm just asking for all the listeners to remember my pastor kenny bontrager in your prayers this week um, lift him and his family up uh, it's definitely devastating on all of them and he's uh, he's got a wonderful family that uh, um, that they actually started this church that I go to years ago, uh, made quite a commitment and sacrifice for that family. And um, here the the uh, patriarch himself is uh, facing a battle like he's never faced before. So all prayers are definitely appreciated. Yeah, he um, he really believed in Lester's feet too. He went to bat for us and helped us. And, um, you know, as you know, the Solid Rock Chapel was the one that helped us facilitate the rifle last year. And that was, you know, with his backing and approval. And uh, he's believed in what Don and I have been doing for a long time. And uh, just so sweet of a family. And I want to tell you something. This minister, I, I've, I've been had the privilege of, of sitting in the in the seats in there and listening to his sermon this man is not scared to share the gospel and tell the truth and um 
I just hope that, um, you know, whatever the outcome of this is, the peace that they find in his relationship and salvation uh, is comforting. But um, we just hope that every all the listeners just just pray for him. It's it's going to be a tough road no matter the outcome. And, and we we really appreciate the prayers. Absolutely. All right, everybody. Don, what do you got going on this week? Are you traveling? Yeah, I am. I'm going to Ohio on Tuesday, then I'm headed to Michigan at the end of the week um, for that seminar and uh, do some consulting up there as well. Yeah, I'm going to watch the weather. Um, I've intentionally not taken any consultant uh, clients until after or till New Year's Eve. So I'm still in hunting mode. And based on the extended forecast, we got a big cold front coming in next weekend. So I'm going to be hitting the late season hard, uh, looking for my best opportunity, whether it's going to be here in Kentucky or up in Illinois. So we'll touch base with everybody back on uh, um, a week from uh, Sunday and uh, give everybody an update of how it's going. Absolutely. Hope everyone has a great week. God bless. We'll see you back here. Take care. Chasing Giants has been brought to you by Osseo Camo, Via Farm Real Estate Company, 360 Hunting Blinds, Victory Chevrolet, Real World Wildlife Products, Matthews Archery, Novix Tree Stands, Gingerich Tree Farm, WildlifeFarming.com, Quiet Cat, and Vortex Optics. Thanks for listening and tune in next week for another episode of Chasing Giants.